Welcome to Future Fuzz, the digital marketing podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 40 of Future Fuzz, the digital marketing podcast, a massive milestone. Thank you very much to everybody who listens and subscribes. This week, I talked to Matt O'Neill again. He featured in one of the earlier episodes. I speak to the optimistic futurist about all things AI and how that's going to have impact on our lives and the business world. And we also speak about the release of Matt's new book. Enjoy the show. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think AI is an obvious topic. Yeah. You know, that's, that seems very obvious. And, um, you know, I would say we should... Up until GPT, it was okay for me to talk about it philosophically. Uh, and now it's not okay, you know, and now I find like, I feel like an increased sense of responsibility in my work that I didn't have in the same way before, you know, because I think there's an awful lot of fear out there and quite rightly so, you know, like this stuff is moving at a pace like I've never seen, you know, and I've been working for the last 20 odd years, you know, I'm 47 now, maybe 22 years, something like that. Um, I've never seen anything move so quickly. Um, and so, yeah, I think we could talk about where the tech's going. I think also like how we can prepare for it as well. Um, yeah. And I think that um, like my new catchphrase is a robot's not coming to take your job, but a human being with a robot definitely is. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and that raises all sorts of questions around things like key performance indicators, you know. So, I mean, there's still some business that partly base KPIs on things like presenteeism, right? But, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that's for the birds now, you know, that's yeah. for a different time. Uh, and I think that needs to be rethought. You know, what happens when somebody 10Xs their productivity or uh, better still automates their job? You know, should they be rewarded for automating their job or should they be penalized for it? But these are these are questions that I think yeah. will need to be asked, you know. Big questions and very sluggish responses from governments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They're just... Um, I mean, you know, this whole thing about open AI, you know, and, and the, the publishing of the letter, you know, I, I absolutely support the sentiment of the letter, you know, to slow down and think about it. But yeah, I do question the motives, you know, because what I find interesting about that letter is no one from open AI signed it. No, you know, no. And, and Musk drove it because he knows he's behind. Yeah. And I think that that, unfortunately, the cynic in me uh, thinks that that's the case. You know, well, it that is actually, the case. I mean, yeah, you should think about your cynic in you because I think yeah. it is the case. I mean, we can go straight into it. I think Elon Musk is annoyed, very annoyed, and wants in. And like you say, no one um, from OpenAI uh, signed that letter. No. So uh, he must see, I feel like he's had his feathers ruffled and he's thinking, oh, hang on a minute, I want to buy some time here because I want in on this game. Yeah. And that's classic yeah. Musk behavior, right? Yeah. I mean, it's an arms race. And, and I think what they are, what they fully understand is that whoever builds the most sophisticated system wins, you know, that's it, you know, it's done. And, and what we haven't gone through at the moment is sort of like a moment that is painful for society, you know, like, because I think a lot of us kind of are aware of it on a philosophical level, but you know, what's to, what, what happens when suddenly you wake up one morning and your bank account's been emptied by a sophisticated AI, right? That's, yeah. that's the sort of thing, or, or say some, another scenario I think is that with these open models, you know, so open AI, I think, you know, they, they are, I think they are trying to show themselves to be responsible with all the guardrails that they put up around it. But with these open models, as they get more sophisticated, 
and they don't have guardrails. You know, like one of my sort of potential fears would be that a bad actor sitting in the bedroom could say, uh, right, well, let's uh, synthesize a, a virus that mm-hmm. uh, targets this specific ethnic group, um, go away and work out, you know, what the molecules are. Then your second part of your task is to go to a, uh, a bio lab in northern China, mm-hmm. uh, have that virus synthesized. The third part is to organize transportation, you know, to wherever it happens to be. Uh, and I, I don't think we're that far away from it. So, you know, I think it's it's the thing about this tech is it could go one way or the other. You know, probably it's going to go in both ways, right? It's going to go in a really profoundly excellent way. Uh, yes. But there's going to be some bumps along the way as well. There was a really great book written by James Lovelock, who is a scientist who ba- who have dis- basically discovered Gaia theory, that the yeah. planet is one uh, effective ecosystem organism and it self-regulates itself. And he predicted, you know, climate change and uh, everyone sort of laughed at him when he mm. had that theory that the, the Earth was just one massive uh, system. Um, but And he died, I think about two years ago, he died around about the age of 100, 102, something mm. like that. And he, before he passed away, he wrote a book about AI and he theorized that actually what will happen is, this is very philosophical, but he might be right, um, is that AI will develop so quickly and, um, and it will become so complicated that it will have no interest in humans. And he even theorized that it will probably build itself a sphere that can float away into space and then we'll never see it again because mm. it won't have any interest in humans. So that's maybe we're thinking uh, way ahead. But if you think about it in practical terms today, I think there's two very interesting things. One that's very, very positive and one that's a bit scary. So positive thing is it can think and do stuff much, much faster than we can, right? I mean, it's just the time it takes to complete a task is much, much, much faster than a human being. You can see that already, and that will only get faster, I think. The second thing which is worrying is the criminality part and the fact that governments are not really paying any attention to this. What do you, what do you think no. about that statement? I mean, yeah, so first of all, that book was one of my favourite books in the pandemic, Nova Scene. I think he wrote it when he was like 99 or something like yeah. that. I mean, it's just mind-blowing, isn't it? You know, like, yeah. it's, for anybody out there who's interested, Nova Scene by James Lovelock, you know, to me it is like the book, you know, like he he writes it in a very simple to understand way. It's short, you know, if you're a reader, you can read it in a day, you know, like easily, probably less. Um, and it and it was profound, you know, there's no doubt about it. The second part, so what's interesting, what we're seeing in the UK, and I don't follow it as closely as I might, but apparently what's happened is ChatGPT has woken up the UK government a little bit to this mm. type of thing. And, and, and quite rightly, you know, if you think, if you're a government and you've got to deal with hundreds of different issues at one time, you know, the, the abstraction of AI and its potential damage, you know, doesn't probably seem as important, you know, as more pressing things around, say, social security. I'd like to hope that a government would, would care about that. Um, but clearly what ChatGPT has done is it's been the first time really that it's kind of launched onto the consumer-facing scene, you know, and what mm. did they get right about it? You know, A, it's pretty sophisticated and it can do some pretty incredible things. But B, it's... Um, it's very easy to use, right? And yeah. so prior to its arrival on the scene, you know, you had things like GPT-3 and there was a minority of people using it and building apps on top of it. I mean, the copywriting app Jasper, for example, is a great example. 
But um, but clearly, I think when you look at the, uh, am I right in thinking it was like the the, the fastest adopted app in history, like yeah, multiple? Yeah. yeah. And I know a company actually that's been using the API for quite some time. I think they were saying about eighteen months, and they've been building mm. their tech on it um, mm. for quite a while, and maybe even longer actually, because you know OpenAI has been around for a while. It's not just suddenly yeah. appeared overnight, has it? And they uh, and they were complaining that now since the consumer facing interface mm. has been developed, and that's where yeah. people have taken notice when you know, ordinary Joe can get their hands on it. Mm. Um, but previous to that, they were using it. And now they complain that they say it's very, very slow, right? That, you know, yeah. it's bu and it's buggy or whatever, yeah. Uh, yeah. because so many yeah. people are using it. And I know that when I log in in the afternoon, especially when America comes on, let's say online New York, around about 3 p.m., something like that, it says, oh, we're really busy right now. Can you come back later? Um, so it's absolutely phenomenal yeah. about the usage. Yeah. But yeah, to go back to what you say about politics, you know, I think, yes, it, it has launched it onto the scene. And I, and I think that it's a, it's a very urgent conversation that needs to be had. But what, what I'm seeing is like there are some people who literally are the ostriches and prefer not to think about it or it doesn't interest me. And then there are others, myself included, who are just seeing it as a massive opportunity and you know, it's completely changed the way i mean I, i've been on gpt4 pretty much since it came out i think it's it's a market improvement on chat gpt but uh, i'll give you an, an example so i went down to see my mum and dad recently and my dad since retiring has become very active in the retired members of unison right so he's he's super active and he gets really stuck into the issues what's unison is that unison i'm yeah. oh, sorry it's a british trade union yeah it's a british a trade, trade union. union okay yeah yeah sorry i should have i should have said that for our listeners there you yeah go. yeah it's, it's, it, i think it's one of the largest trade unions in in the uk i mean it's quite interesting because dad and i i'm quite a big sort of uh, i'm very pro business i'm pretty much a free trader and uh you know his first reaction is like how does it affect the workers so you can imagine our dinner party conversation Right. <laughs> have a little bit of friction sometimes but you know we we let's say uh, agreeably disagree you know like we don't make right. it an issue um but but no so so going back to this you know i i remember when chat gpt came onto the scene and i was like right this this is the start of something you know, this is coming to uh, the consumer world and i started talking to him about it and i would send him sort of little missives you know by email kind of uh it saying why i think the trade union should start to take it seriously and and it was quite interesting because when I was down at mum and dad's house, I took my Mac out, I plugged it into the family TV, and I thought, how, how can I get them interested? How can I help them to appreciate this? Now, my mum's a poet, right? And so, you know, and, and she is known for never having writer's block, right? As my dad would say when I phone up, I'd say, how's mum? And she'd say, you know her, she's cranking them out again, Matt. And she literally just keep them going, right? But, um, and I thought, okay, well, why don't I have GPT-4 create a poem for my mum? That will make it sort of relatable, you know? So I, I sort of came up with a prompt, you know, I think I used something like, uh, it should rhyme, it should have like narrative, can't remember the exact prompt now. And I, I, to I said, uh, I want you to imagine this is a 75-year-old woman. She's sitting in her conservatory in a town called Winchester. She's writing poetry regularly. 
and uh, create something. And so, of course, it sits there and it does it brilliantly, you know. And right. she was like, "That's oh, all right." My dad, on the other hand, he's got his notepad out and he's writing down everything, you know. And he's saying, "Right, what's the website? You know, tell me about universal basic income. You know, what are the issues that the trade union should be looking at?" And I'm like, mm. "Wow!" And that kind of illustrates it, you know, because I, I yeah. said to mum. Why don't you know? Why don't you take this to your ladies at the poetry club? And say, no, no, they won't be interested in that. And you know, maybe they will, maybe they won't. But the, my point is, it was a very micro way of looking. I think at how uh, society is seeing this. You know, like you and I are probably—I know I am—and I'm fairly sure you are—super enthusiastic. We're all advocates for this because it's changing uh, our lives and it's giving us access to productivity we never had before right yeah, yeah um but you know there's there's a lot who who don't see this and what i've kind of realized now as i as i, I alluded to earlier is that i feel like a, a a sense of responsibility to surface this and and to show people and try to get a conversation started about the implications of this because the world that you and i grew up in i think we're we're very fortunate actually you know our so i'm 47 i guess you're a little bit behind me, but um, I just turned uh, forty, and this is the fortieth uh, episode of yeah. the podcast. So yeah, <laughs> so uh, you know, one of the things that I think is really great for us is that we get to span this analog digital world, right? Yeah. So if you grew up like me, I don't know, but well, you know, I didn't you, have a telephone when I was a kid. Right. right. So you did you ride your bicycles? Right? Did you play outside? Bike. Oh yeah. Oh, always yeah. outside. Lived in a little yeah. village, constantly outside, and then the internet came along. Indeed, and I built my first web website yeah ah, so that's showing our age because uh I, I think when i first got into computers i had a zx spectrum oh right, right. well my brother i think my first computer my brother had was an amstrad of some right. kind yeah 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 you know so so i think that we, we I, I sometimes think that people of our generation or people who've been alive for say at least at least 30 years mm. We get to see these two worlds, right? Yeah, I'm definitely seeing yeah. a split. Yeah, and then yeah. the generation, the younger generation are seeing this now. They've got no comprehension because they never knew what it was like before. No. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. yeah There's yeah. definitely a split. There's a big yeah. jump. Yeah. It was the same conversation I remember in 2010, you know, like a lot of professional communicators would talk about, what did they call them? The thumbs generation, you know, so those who'd grown up with mobile phones on on, on Nokia's, right? Yeah. Uh, It'd be funny to hear what the thumbs generation are saying about like the younger ones who are coming through, you know, the Gen A's and at some point the, the Gen Beaters. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a profound. I think we're going to see more change in the next twenty years than we have in the last two hundred. Right, Definitely. no doubt about it. No I think doubt. They, David Bowie uh, predicted this in a um, an interview with Jeremy Paxman, and we'll put the link in the in the. Um, in the notes of the podcast because what he actually says is is that he believes the internet will be the biggest profound change it'll be mm. massive change and he uses the word simpatico and ai enables simpatico where everything is completely seamless right well within mm. the internet it's it's been a huge change but the step mm. is now is that this kind of technology can be integrated in absolutely everything yeah you know, yeah. in, it's just there's no boundary because it can go. Yeah. It can be going building. Like, check this building design. Is it yeah. safe? Yeah. Um, is this the correct medical procedure? And I think Samsung have, have come a cropper. I posted it the other day. Is that Samsung have been validating and testing their code inside ChatGPT, mm, yes. and not knowingly they're giving away their IP yeah. because they've been yeah. uploading their code. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you just raised a really interesting point there. So, you know, a year ago, when I was talking about AI, I would talk about it slightly philosophically. So I would say, you've got, we're in this era of artificial narrow intelligence, you know, AIs that can do very specific things very well. And then the next iteration was what they call artificial general intelligence, the moment that it reached the, the, the equivalency of a human being in, let's say, the eight measures of intelligence. There's a guy called Howard Gardner who writes The Synthesizing Mind. A lot of it's based around that. Then there's superintelligence, but that's, that's something else. Now, what I think is happening with GPT-4 is it's starting to show what they call the sparks of AGI. Like it's it's not general intelligence. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't. One of the measures, for example, is is the measure of your own self-awareness. You know, like your intrapersonal intelligence. Right. And it scores like about 2%, I think, currently on that. But say when fused with some of the advanced robotics coming out of Boston Dynamics, so you've seen the backflipping robots, uh, Palm-E, which was the Google model that was released for robotics. By the way, that Palm-E model has three times the parameters of ChatGPT, so it's theoretically three times as powerful. Right. It yeah. could be argued then that you put that into a sophisticated robot, um, you've got 100% what they call kinesthetic intelligence, right? The mm. ability to move. And, and these new models now can plan. They can do sort of horizon planning where they can plan out uh, the tasks that they're trying to get into. So AGI, that used to be a big thing. Like futurists love to talk about that, me included, you know. But that's not the question that I think we need to be asking now. The question, which I think you alluded to earlier without realizing it, is to what level of agency do we give these systems in the world? That is the question, right? So at the moment, you know, we've got things like GPT-4 and ChatGPT. We have to ask them questions and they don't, unless people cobble together these weird apps that give them access to the internet, they mm -hmm. don't really have that much agency. You know, they don't have that much capability to make change in the world. But I think that that is very much on the horizon, you know, especially with these new open source models. And and I thought what you said about Samsung is really interesting. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of talk now. Isn't it interesting how these tech things work in cycles? Of course, we all moved out to the cloud because of its efficiency and low cost, etc. But now there seems to be a lot of talk about how many organizations, they wouldn't necessarily want to uh, give access, as you mentioned, to open AI and other large language providers. And so, you know, like, I think what we might start to see is more on-premise taking place where you've got, I think it's Anthropics Claude is one of the examples. So a large language model, you have control over it and it interacts and interfaces with all of your data. So you're not just giving everything away. So the interesting, we've gone from on-premise to cloud, and I wonder if we might see a little bit more of a shift back. Future First is sponsored by SalesSource, B2B pipeline management and sales growth for your business. Yeah, shift back indeed. Yeah, I do think so. And I think also the concerns with regards to GDP, because I'm a uh, GDPR, sorry. I know that the Italian government has raised flags about this. They're yeah. concerned. And I think I saw somewhere, I didn't read the article, but some, somewhere about Germany also being very concerned yeah. um, that people shouldn't be putting in personal data because, you know, the, the criminality aspect of it is quite, is quite high that people could try and get in there and, and ask it questions to get hold of details yeah. and whatnot. So there are some impacts. Let's talk about the impacts on day-to-day -day business because we can mm -hmm. think about the future, but you know, always good to, to think about today, right? Um, 
So what what can companies do? Um, well, we have a lot of people listening, um, and they and they focus on B two B. So what can companies um, use AI for in in B two B activities? I mean, you know, like you probably know the answers to this more better than I do, you know, so I look at it in a slightly broader way. You're doing a workshop soon, aren't you? So what do people want to hear about in the workshop? Well, you know, if you ask me what people want to hear, so my next workshop, that's with an events business. The one after that is with a real estate business and the one after that is with a German bank, right? So they will have slightly different needs and you have to tailor it uh, accordingly. So, you know, I mean, it's obvious, isn't it, that in marketing, it's so ripe, you know, because the very nature of this technology, which is so often referred to as what it is, generative AI, it's called, it's ripe, isn't it, for, for marketers, especially on things like, say, content production. And you've got, uh, you know, just see the advances of things like mid-journey, right? In a year from, I think it was sort of like the beginning of last year to where we are now, they've gone five versions. And if you were to go online and look at the quality of um, how it can interpret a text prompt and then turn it into an image. It's just incredible. It's yeah. just incredible, right? And that's happening across the board. And and what I think is intriguing about this is where are we on this generative AI story? So let's frame just generative AI as a single model, right? There's many, many other models doing lots of things. So if you think about in mathematics, you have this thing called a sigma curve, which is sort of like a, a, a sort of horizontal S for a want of a better word. So that what I'm wondering now, which applies to all of us, is are these generative models reaching the peak of their capacity, in which case we're going to end up with some pretty interesting tools, but still require human beings to operate them. Right. Are they in the middle of that cycle or, you know, moving from time to capacity, going up the curve, uh, in which case we're going to have some insanely good tools, which uh, will still require some human interaction, but they're, it's going to be quite incredible what they can do. Or are we at the beginning of the journey? And it's going to, to me, if we're at the beginning of where this model goes, we're going back to the dot-com plus, you know, like right. all bets are off, you know, all, all bets, bets are off. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, and, and nobody and, knows this. Nobody. So, so yeah, nobody knows this. And for marketers, so I'm sorry, I, I went off on one a little bit there, but. No, but that's, so good. that's good to know. So that. nobody knows and we don't really know where we're at right now, but it will make a huge no, impact. No. Yeah. Okay. But, but the models, you know, this is the thing. It's, it's the model, you know, what, what made, so one of the theories is about generative AI or let's say large language model specifically, there's some questioning about, does it get better because we feed it more data, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it gets to a point where there's a limit where, you know, like you've given it all the parameters you possibly can, right? And so, you know, with GPT-4, you know, yes, it's starting to become multimodal. It's offering us things to do with images and websites and programming and stuff. Um, but we don't know yet how far that specific model will go. Right. And so that that's really important because if it's if we're at the beginning, AGI could be a very real possibility. And there are there are people out there. So I call, what's his name? Dr. Alan Thompson. He's an Australian. He calls himself the life architect. He he he's the sort of person that can read the papers that I can't. So I just follow him and I just believe what he says. But right. he's saying very conservatively, he thinks that um these machines will reach the level of human intelligence by 2026. And that is four years earlier than the most um, optimistic, wild estimate. Wild, yeah. Um, So, yeah, marketers, the opportunity for marketers is obvious. You're going to 
10x your productivity. You know, yeah. you're going to be able to do things that you never could before. You're going to be able to increase your capacity. You're going to be able to, maybe you, you won't need agencies quite as much, especially for that sort of more lower level kind of work, you know, where you're producing day-to-day um, -day kind of copywriting and stuff. Mm. I mean, you know, you, you you know, it's probably better coming from you. I mean, you know, you well, yeah, I've, I've used it for copywriting at the moment. The only challenge is at the moment is you do obviously have to put your personality into it because when it comes back, it sounds indeed like a robot. Mm. Um, and I liked, I had a chat with Blair the other week on a podcast and, and she does a lot of content and, and we both agreed it's, it's to be used as a tool. Um, and yeah, there's small things like I often make typos. Right, my English isn't amazing, mm. and I use sometimes use a, use a little bit of odd grammar, but that's my grammar. That's personal to me. And right now, it's you know it's word perfect and very formal, and that's just not me. So mm. no, definitely use it for prompt, but don't do everything through it because it's it's blind, it's obvious. You see no. it on LinkedIn as well. Hey, the thing the thing I find my main concern, and I've said this to many other people as well, is that it it shouldn't it shouldn't be an excuse. You shouldn't get. You shouldn't be lazy and go. Oh, I'm just going to ask it to do this, and it's going to do absolutely everything for me. I think that's naive, and I think even when AI progresses to an incredible level, um, there'll still be friction. You know, it's it's it's, it's not a perfect world. So use it as a tool, and um, and don't be too reliant on it yeah. because yeah. it will go down. Um, you can't sometimes log on to ChatGPT. Yeah. I've used a new social media tool which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Tap. Taplio, I think it's called. Um, oh, yeah. they, they've got an AI function. It didn't work for two days. Mm. I've used a new um, video recording software. I'm not going to mention the name. They've got some problems at the moment with mm. their AI integration or what have you. So, you know, there's, there's this thing where it's great to use it as a tool. There's so many yeah. um, great ways to use it, but don't become uh, no. too reliant on it. No, I mean, uh, to, to extend on your point, again, this applies to marketers and it applies to anyone really is, and I, 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 this is consistent, right? Jobs are only going away when problems go away. So as long as society has problems, there will be jobs, businesses and organizations emerging to solve those problems. But, you know, we don't necessarily know exactly what those problems are. But um, to, to, to bring it back to the creative level, I had a bit of a Barney actually with a, very well-respected photographer. This was about probably about a month ago. And, um, you know, we're, we're friendly. We're not friends, but we're friendly. We have a friendly relationship. And uh, he's he got very upset because London, I think that this, the first AI modeling agency had emerged, right? So this was effectively, we can do modeling with avatars. Uh, you know, you can send in the clothing, we'll computerize it, right. et cetera, et cetera, right? And so he's getting very upset and he's making these sort of long form posts, you know, about uh, the death of photography. It's not for photography and uh you know what about the jobs that are lost you know the, the cleaners in the studios the studios don't need hiring the models and so on and so forth and uh you know like what bothered me about it wasn't that you know everybody's entitled to your to their opinion but because he's so influential in his field there's a lot of younger ones who maybe they're just trying to break in they might be feeling a little bit lacking in confidence and then they see this person that they look up to who's just basically saying photography's dying it's you know it's gone mm. etc etc i thought no i'm, I'm not going to i'm not going to stomach this you know i don't want them to be affected just because in my opinion you are naive or ignorant in my opinion yeah. so you know i thought well Let's let's work on the basis of jobs are only going away when problems go away. 
Yeah, yeah. that's a really that's a really good one. Yeah. What, what's increasing in the world of photography, right? So maybe there's going to be less sort of, you know, traditional modeling, but the sorts of problems we have, climate change, right, as an example. If climate change is a thing, and I think most people would agree it's, it's quite real, then perhaps we're going to need, or we will need, more photographers to work on things like conservation, environmental photography, wildlife photography. We need the stuff documented. And of course, the number of environmental groups that uh, emerge to try and help get involved to solve this will increase. Look at uh, the biotechnology industry. So that's clearly in the ascendancy at the moment. I think we will need far more micro specialists who do things like microphotography, for example, which is a very specific but highly paid subset of photography, right? Looking at, you know, down at the molecular level and so on and so forth. And so, you know, I made this very clear, you know, and, and I, he, he just, he just sort of came back with like, you don't understand how photography works. And I said, no, I don't, maybe I don't, but I at least can see where the opportunities might arise, you know, and, and, uh, you know, like one way of thinking about it is back in the dot-com era you had all these journalists saying oh, you know like uh, online it's bollocks you know like, i'm yeah. not involved in that <laughs> well um, i was about to say the same thing with know, the dawn of the internet there were lots yeah. of naysayers of course, no you know, this is rubbish this is yeah. never going to work and, yeah, and all yeah. that happened was they stick their heads in the sand and they end up sleeping under the newspapers they used to produce right yeah, yeah. Um, they're, and they're, so out, they're out of jobs definitely yeah the future does not belong to the employable right which is what the industrial revolution and taylorism was all about scientific management principles we will make you you need to do this this job the future belongs to the adaptable right and and so it's about our capacity to adapt and so what i find really wonderful about this is that those who are willing to be sort of open and explore will thrive you know but yeah, if, definitely there's um, one thing i want to say on that is that uh, there's a fantastic panorama you can probably you got to check out the bbc for this but there's a panorama recently i think it came out about a month or so ago about productivity and why in britain there is a problem with productivity and um uh, unfortunately Brit britain as a result in on the whole has become they become poorer as they are not they are not so productive so if you look at machinery and technology combined in countries like germany who were who do a lot of manufacturing they were they were worried that the machinery would take away the take away jobs and that it would damage the economy well it's actually been the opposite machinery mm -hmm. has made people become more productive they produce more and their economy mm -hmm. grows and the saying goes that productivity isn't so important at the mm. beginning, but it's the most important thing at the end. Yeah. Um, so, the, yeah, definitely need to embrace. And I think, um, you know, just to wrap up, people need to be highly skilled. So I think that's what you're saying. If you're doing photography, you need to have a niche and you need to be highly skilled in that. Uh, no, no, yeah. not, not even necessarily skilled. I think you've just got to have your eyes open to think, where are the problems likely to emerge? So if I was a photographer, I'd sit down and I'd say, what sorts of problems are, are coming up? Just ask GPT, you know, ask yeah. it what, what are the big issues we're going to face in the next decade, you know? Right, yeah. I'm going to tell you like where to put your attention. It's, it's really obvious. So, and, and so, so yeah, I mean, in terms of our human side, right? Um, if I know we're about to wrap up, there are two principles that I would encourage people to develop, right? Do you remember back in the in the pandemic, we talked so much about the importance of resilience, you know, we've got to be resilient, we've got to, we're going to bounce back from adversity, you know, wonderful. But that's not going to cut it. 
in this era. We need a, a slightly different, I, I don't even like to use the mi word mindset because mindset implies fixed and stuck. You know, it's sort of mm -hmm. like a, a rock is set, right? I, I would suggest that we need something different, which is what I call, well, it's not what I call, it's what Nicholas Taleb called in his book, anti-fragile, you know, so more anti-fragile uh, characteristics. So, you know, if you go to the gym and you lift weights, right, what are you doing? You're breaking your muscles down so they grow back stronger. Right. So in this new world, let's just take one example of where AI, I think, will impact us. Job displacement, right? It's, it's pretty clear, isn't it, that uh, over time, some jobs will start to be phased out. You know, those administrative things like, say, bookkeeping, for example, that type of job will be phased out. Now, when you lose your bookkeeping job as a resilient person, you say, that's all right, I can bounce back, I can get another job. That's not going to cut it, right? So I, I, what I'm, I'm trying to encourage people to think about is these principles of anti-fragility, which actually means bouncing forward, right? So if you mm. build some redundancy into your life through maybe learning a bit more than you used to, you know, like if you can afford it, have a bit of money set aside, you know, when you uh, hit adversity, maybe you lose your job, but your class of job is, is dissolving you are bouncing forward and you're saying, well, I could get a job. I could uh, go to education. I could start a business. I could go freelance, right? You are somebody who feels that they have options, right? And this is something that I explore in the workshops, you know, and we, in the Becoming Superhuman workshop. Um, and, it, and, and the final thing is like, you think about what got us to this point, right? It was a very clever people with what I call brute force analysis, you know, like, right, I'm going to analyze this, I'm going to, but analysis is about reaching generally a single conclusion. You follow a series of facts, you reach a single conclusion. Machines are going to do that. So don't bother competing with the machines on that. Instead, yeah. think more about what, uh, what um, was referred to by Howard Gardner as the synthesizing mindset, right? So our capacity to be able to take ideas from different places and to create new tapestries, new products, new approaches, new services, right? And the, the best quote I heard, and I don't even think he realized when he said this, it was, it was the CEO of an insurance group in Australia who in 2016, his name was Peter Harmer, I think. And uh, he said, I don't need people to have good ideas. I need people who can take two, three, four ideas to layer on top of each other to create entirely new approaches to the business, right? Yeah. And I don't even think he was talking about AI, but, but that is perhaps like the wisest sort of words of leadership, especially in terms of making progress I've ever come across. You know, it's quite phenomenal. We will, we will quote those in, in the podcast. We talked about a, two, a couple of books today um, just before we, we finish. So there's uh, Nova Scene by James Lovelock. It's definitely uh, worth a read, not too big either. And you mentioned another, another one there as well, the Fragility book. Oh, anti-fragile. Yeah, anti-fragile. So Who wrote that? Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Taleb. So he's, I think he was a former fund guy turned academic. He also did Black he wrote Swan. Black Swan. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. That's yeah. one of my favourite books. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Black Swan. That's a very in intense read. Yeah. yeah. Um, anti-fragile and and Novacin. They're the three book recommendations. Yeah. Anyone listening, we expect you to read them before the next episode. Uh, Matt, uh, thank uh, you very much on. for coming on. You've missed one. Future Hackers. Don't forget Future, future Hackers. Hackers. Sorry. That's, yeah. tell, very, quickly, very quickly, tell us about Future Hackers in one minute. Okay. 
so a few trackers is coming out may the 4th it's my second book it's the sequel to a previous book called the future is now uh, i'm looking hopefully very creatively at the worlds of work technology and leadership but also some more esoteric topics as well so even getting down to what happens when human beings start wanting to get married to their robot companions you know do we do we legalize this you know in the way that we did with gay marriage so practical 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 fun brilliant the book is called Future Hackers. And when is it coming out? May the 4th. It's on Amazon. May the 4th on Amazon. Brilliant. And what I will do is I will buy a couple of copies. And to the listeners, if you share this podcast and subscribe and then message me, there's two books up for grab from Lovely. Future Hackers. Thank you, Matt, for coming on the podcast. Pleasure. Thanks for tuning in and making the choice to listen to this podcast. If you liked what you've heard today, please don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe. 